Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast. And this time I get to introduce two friends of mine, Jim and Sandy Forbes of Renovare. And we'll hear more about their story and their journey of entrepreneurship, the highs and the lows. And we know that there are highs and lows. So whatever you guys are willing to share to help somebody else will be appreciated. Um, but we're going to start with the heartbeat question. And so I got a little twist for you. So these guys like hiking, waterfalls, that kind of stuff, which is really great in North Carolina since they're in North Carolina now. But in, you've just come back from a hike and you realize, oh my gosh, we've got a whole bunch of chicken feed we got to still get for all of our chickens. And so you're you're going to your local haunt of where you get all your chicken feed for your chickens. And somebody sees you in the parking lot as you're ready to go in the front door and they start talking about you guys. What is it that you would like somebody to say about you without knowing that you are able to hear what they're saying? Sure. I would love um, for when people think about us and about Renovari that the first thing they would think about is um, that we that we care and that we want to leave our team and our clients and our vendors better off after they've met us and worked with us than before they met us and worked with us. So we want to bring value, um, you know, everywhere we go and live our core values so that um, it's not really just about us, but it's about uh, what we can bring to the table to, you know, better the people around us. Yeah, and I think for me that having the, our people, the, you know, our team, you know, they want to work with us. And so we don't look at people working for us. They work with us. And so uh, that when we're looking for new people, they're, they're, they're like, come work with us. You know, that we're, we're good. We, that we back up what we, we live our values. I think that's probably maybe one of the key things is like uh, when people would say like, yeah, they actually do what they say. They, they preach, you know, that they, they, they'll do it. They'll, they'll actually back it up. And so I think that's probably one of the key things. And, and then even when we go through with, you know, we'll have trials on jobs and difficult times. And I had a customer say the other day to me that, Hey, I want to work with you again. Even though we had some difficult times on his job, we worked our way through it and we had a successful job at the end. And so he gave us basically wrote us another contract this week uh, because <laughs> we we endured, I guess. That's the best endorsement you can have, especially when you've been through less than desirable circumstances in the project, which, hey, welcome to real life, right? <laughs> especially in the construction mm-hmm. world. <laughs> yeah. So, Jim, you put... Sandy on the spot to uh, to answer that first. So I'm going to have you answer answer this first. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, Jim, paint the picture for the listeners of 
what what were you doing? What's your background prior to you two uh, owning and co-founding Renovare? Uh, well, I mean, if we go back to 89, uh, we started our own company in 89 in Arizona. We had uh, a concrete company for uh, 18, 19 years there, did subcontracting work and for the most part, I was running everything, and we talked about it the other night. It's like when we when we decided to start Renovari, we chose it to start something for a different reason. So our, my background has always been in contracting since, uh, I guess, since we got married. I needed a job once we got married right. uh, 39, 39 years ago. So uh, we we started we had that company for 18 19 years we moved out to the carolinas in 2003 and um, i worked for another company for 11 12 years uh managed and worked for them and ran a, a division for them and then uh, we got lured away to manage a different company and then some things didn't work out, some life changes in that company. And so we decided to start our own company up uh, in that same space. So I've been tied to concrete since uh, 1983, uh, but we've been in business one way or another by ourselves, either uh, doing this or flipping homes or doing some kind of entrepreneurial thing we've been doing for 40 years. What was, what was, yeah, the... I think... go for it, Sandy, sorry. I was going to say, I think he came out of the womb as an entrepreneur. <laughs> so, I mean, even in high school, he had his own business. He would hire all his friends, you know, through the summer. So it's just kind of something that is in his blood mm -hmm. um, to be a business owner, to create, to build, that kind of thing. Were you around entrepreneurship growing up? The entrepreneurs in your family or close friends or anything like that? Or it just kind of came... Uh, yeah, I guess on my uh, my mother's side, I mean, my dad was not. He was just, uh, he, he was a route man for Frito-Lay and Coca-Cola and stuff like that, a uh, hard worker. So the work ethic was definitely from my dad. On my, my mom's side, I used to work with my uncles who were landscapers, and they had their own business businesses. So, so they, you know, they were entrepreneurs, I guess you would say, because they had their own companies and we would work with them with children. Yep. What was, you guys started that first company together? Is that correct? The one in 89? Yes. What was the the appeal to uh, to go into to business together, to create something for the first time? Sounds like early in, in the, the marriage to go and start a business together. Yeah, we were 25. We're young and stupid. <laughs> and I, the company I was working for went out of business, and so uh, he had some financial issues. And so uh, we saw the writing on the wall, I would say, six, eight months prior to that. So I had gone out and secured a license and everything. And so literally the day he closed his doors, I rode, rode the wave with him on out. And then we were in business that afternoon as our own company. And basically, I took on his customers that actually paid their bills, and uh, it's always had, good. had yeah had work had work immediately. And so, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that we at the time we weren't looking 
other than uh, I don't know. I don't know if that is a good question. I don't know that we ever, other than the fact that we knew he was, we decided we could do it. Yeah. And we went, we went into business ourselves and we had that business for 18, 19 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one thing that we've had a, a few different spouse uh, business partners on, on this before. And one thing that commonly comes up is the, the dynamic of, uh, the two spouses in the business. So what are some of the things that you guys learned from the first company uh, in Arizona that you've now been able to apply to Renovare as far as the dynamic between you two? I think the biggest thing, right, you yeah, that's a good question, I guess, is, is the biggest thing, I don't know, the dynamic, is, uh, spousal dynamic is just this business I think the first business we got into it because we wanted to make a living and we, we knew that, okay, I can do this and we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And it grew, you know, we were raising our kids. We had three kids at the time, uh, all under, you know, we we had three kids by the time we were 25. So, um, so it was mostly me. I mean, her, she was doing it for the first few years and then she kind of morphed her way out of it, uh, as the business grew and we were able to hire somebody. So, I mean, we were always part of the business together, but she had less hands on day to day. Um, but the, I don't know that we ever had a purpose for the business. And so I think this time it, the business is, seems more, uh, personal for us in my mind, because we chose to do it for a bigger purpose, something other than just making a living. We want the business to make a purpose uh, or the business to be the vehicle to make a purpose. Yeah, I think um, I think how I see the answer to that question is kind of, um, you know, in the early days, again, it was to make a living. Um, but we both you know, our brains think differently. Um, That's a fact. Yeah, for sure. And um, that can either be something that is very hard to deal with where you clash a lot or you learn to respect each other's strengths. And I think over the years, that's what we've learned is, you know, he trusts me and the things, um, how I see things and, and the um, maybe the creative aspect that I bring to the table and I totally trust him that, you know, when it comes to the business side, um, you know, that's just the day-to-day operations, literally doing the work, figuring out the contract, dealing with the clients, that is his strong suit. So I don't, I don't play in that field. And then, you know, he doesn't really, um, overstep in my field. And we've definitely grown in that, I think, through the years. We just really learned to kind of stay in our own lane and to respect each other's lane and to really depend on each other. So um, for me, like I can think through something and figure out, you know, like three or four creative ways to get through it um, when he's in the middle of the storm, you know. So, um, yeah, so I think it's just been a growing thing that we've really leaned into. And instead of just being frustrated with each other and our differences, we've learned to trust each other and our differences. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I just wrote that in my notes. When we go back to the audio, I'm going to spend a little more time on those quotes in particular, but the essence of 
you can even you can either focus on the clashing or you can focus on each other's strengths and honoring those and yeah. i think if you can't do the latter it's not going to go well mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um it, it, so I- anyway i think that's super important um sandy when when kind of shortly after you guys came to charlotte in 03 is that right or 05 03 yeah, 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 03. You were at Bank of America at one point too. So you, is that correct? It was a Bank of America. It was um, Synchrony Bank. Or oh, Synchrony. Synchrony. Okay, sorry. Capital, yeah. But I knew you were in banking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to hear just a little sidelight about what that was like because you guys started your first business out of necessity. We need a job. Second business now is like a greater purpose. And we want to dive into more of that. But in that in-between time, when you are working for a big financial institution, tell us what you're willing to tell us about. Like, why did you go do that? And what did you learn from it? Goods and bads that, you know, that you are able to apply now where you're at, at this, in this company. Um. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, um, at that time, Jim, we didn't we had kind of paused on our business endeavor. So Jim was working for another company. Um, so it wasn't you know we didn't really have something go, building between the two of us. So I went to work for um, the bank, and in that time, I think the hard things for both of us were you know when you're when you're once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So we both, I think, felt that whole time, we always felt the pull of being an entrepreneur and creating a business. And in fact, during that time, um, we flipped houses. You know, we did stuff on the side anyway, just because it's just us. That's just what we do, right? So. Um, Some people call it crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, so that. It, it was just, you know, the need to, you know, basically be employed, you know, have a job, <laughs> have an income, kind of an in-between time while we kind of got our seat back on the ground and um, really figured out. Now, now looking back, there was a lot of things happening along the way that brought us to where we are now. So the relationships that Jim was making with the company that he was in, um, have been key in building this business. And then what I learned in the roles that I had at the bank have been key as well. So you ask for examples of like good and bad. I think the hard things about that are when you're an entrepreneur, it's very hard to work for a big machine. Um, you know, everything is just, well, you know, it's, the creativity is kind of stifled. It's just, you know, if you do this, this, and this, you know, every single day, you hit your numbers, everything's about numbers. Um, and that, you know, that's that's the end result. As long as you hit your numbers, you're good. Um, the good thing about it is I had the unique the unique opportunity to work for some very high level um client presidents in while I was at the bank. And so that gave me a really good insight into a large company managing team, um, you know, 
creative flowing, um, financials, all of that kind of thing that I really had never learned. Um, cause I, I don't have an MBA. I don't, you know, don't have a college degree. So I had a firsthand look at how that type of a business at that scale, um, looks. And so a lot of those skills I have brought with me, um, even in marketing, um, cause I did some marketing at the bank, um, that kind of thing I was able to translate over into this business. So that was, that's very helpful. How, how do you apply what you learn in a big corporation, like those types of things, to a smaller company, right? Budgets are different. Team sizes are different. So how do you translate that from large corporate America to a privately held company? Well, the situation that I was in at the bank, even though it was a huge corporation, and so everything we did, you know, the numbers all roll up. You know, no matter what's going on, they all roll up to the top, right? So everybody's accountable. But your team size, the people that you work with day in and day out are small. So it does feel like even though it's a huge corporation, you have a team that you're working intimately with every day. So I think that's the relatability right there is that even though, you know, however many employees the bank has, um, still it was a team of like 25 people that I worked with, you know. Yeah, and that's her focus is always, you know, because I get I'll get buried in the weeds and the work, and but she's good at always bringing it around to the team. Let's build the team. Let's build the team. You know, and so like when we started the business, that was our our key element, making sure you know even Gary was instrumental in pointing us to uh, uh, I think it was the book Traction. Uh, that we read and we, we kind of developed our first core values and principles off of like that model and just basically making sure the right people. And, and so I think, I think she brought a lot of that over from the bank, realizing how important team members were and making sure that was a big focus on what, where we're at now. Right. I think that having the right people in the right place, um, cause I've seen disasters with that. <laughs> um, so I know the, you know, we've seen the importance of that, but also just culture. You know, I think in large corporations, the culture get, can get lost very easily. Like, how do you maintain and really um, manage the integrity and the culture of your company when it's large like that? So that's something that we talk about a lot, even though we're still small, we, we're growing very fast. So it's like, how do we maintain the integrity and have our culture forefront every single day so that we don't lose it as we grow um. yeah so even though this podcast is audio only we may use some clips at some point on the video since we're doing this via zoom but um what you can't see behind them is a book a big bookshelf full of books like you can see behind ben and myself but I know you guys are voracious readers. <laughs> I know you are lifetime learners, which is another really important common thread that we've seen with all of our guests. I mean, with every one of them, like there's a humility that must go with learning, I think. Otherwise you're like, oh, well, I, I, I've got it all. Well, nobody, even Solomon didn't. <laughs> so you, talk to us about stuff that, so you mentioned the book Traction, which is for anybody listening, 
Uh, Gino Wickman wrote it. It's, it's basically a framework for how you run your company in starting with really important foundation stones like your core purpose, your core values, where you want to go in 10 years, three years, one year, meeting cadences and all that kind of stuff. And you can get kind of tripped up in the semantics of it, but like getting down to the bedrock, the core, which you guys, you guys pour concrete for big buildings and, and for multifamily homes and stuff like that. Talk to us about like how that book or other books have helped you. You said that this, this, this entity, Renovare, this is a, a company based on purpose more than just making a living. Talk to us about some of the influences. I know you're also part of some coaching groups and stuff like that, but talk to us about some of those things that you found helpful to help you kind of set the, the, the tone as you continue to grow. Well, for me, I mean, when we read, um, one of the ones that stands out like for me is like the infinite game. Um, I don't remember the author. Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek. Not, yeah. Um, so that, and then we just recently read the uh, book. I'm, I'm not. He was more of a gracious reader than I am, but uh, I, I, I have learned to become a reader. I, that wasn't part of me, as, but uh, I've kind of forced my way into that. But the infinite game. And then the one that's about um, the Hobby Lobby uh, gentleman and his family and, and uh, that story about giving it all away. Um, those two probably in the last six months have meant a lot to us or at least to me about just getting, you know, just looking at our business is not that we're not the owners, we're stewards. It's not our business, it's God's. It's it's our, it's got a bigger purpose than just meeting the needs of our customers and our, our, our staff and our, you know, our making a living and all that. It's, we really, our desire of going in has always been that we will have, you know, our, our quote unquote saying is that we want to be full-time givers. You know, that's at the end of the day, we, we want to be able to just, be free to do whatever we want to do and go help wherever we want to help. We don't want to be tied down to having to run a business. We want the business to be running and passing on a legacy, all that. But we want it to, the purpose to be bigger than, you know, so we almost have to stop setting number goals because the number goals get blown up anyway uh, because God's bigger than our goals. And so that's kind of where we're at is I like that infinite game has been one that just, you know, you always strive for a goal that's bigger than you can even achieve, but you can get closer. So you've hit on or alluded to it a little bit a couple different times, and you even have a tab right on your on your page that says community. And that and you you said 10, 15 minutes ago about how the first business was about survival and paying the bills. The second one was about something bigger than yourself. So talk to us about the conversations that you two had before of creating a profitable business while also impacting the community and creating change. Cause you guys, you volunteer, you've done projects like building ramps. And then also now with this, you're, you're giving away a percentage of profits to different uh, nonprofits and charities. 
Um, no, go yeah, for I it. think our our conversations uh, getting into the business is like we wanted that to be one of our core values of just we're we're giving. You know, we're our company is part of that. It's it's uh, we want. We set that up from the beginning. So if we we set benchmarks and for percentages, and then, so the more we make, the more we give percentage wise. And so it's not, you know, and we and we choose different entities as well. We're not, but there's always things that pull at your heartstrings more or whatever. And you know, but we're all, we want to be community based uh, here, but also nationwide. You know, other other things as well. When we got our I guess our hands in different things, but I don't know. You want to answer that more? Yeah. I think there's different levels to it, right? So, um, like you mentioned, Gary, I mean, we're a concrete company. So we do concrete that goes underneath multi family homes, basically. Um, doesn't sound real glamorous, <laughs> but one of the things that we decided early on and we kind of wrote down as our purpose was that we partner in building safe, strong communities that drive economic growth. So we're not just pouring concrete under buildings. We're actually pouring concrete. Uh, we're actually doing a service for communities that need, you know, for people that need homes, for communities that need growth, for, um, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can look at that. So that's kind of one level. But then, of course, the other thing is literally just giving, um, you know, it's easier for us right now, I think, to give financially because we are so headlong into, you know, the building of this company, but we do set aside time um, to volunteer as well. And we do um, volunteer events with our team. So, you know, we don't force anybody to, to come out and do it on their own time. But I think the way we hire and the people that we have on our team, everybody is, you know, everybody's kind of in that same boat, like if they can they want to come out and help as well so um yeah it's been a real honor to be involved with some of the organizations that are already giving and already going and already have boots on the ground and just to be able to support them where they're at um we see our ability to give and to sow into our community and beyond as way bigger in the future and we don't know exactly what it's going to look like but we know that the kingdom is unlimited. So right now, that's another thing going back to reading and learning that we've been kind of focusing in on is when you're a kingdom company, your purpose is to expand the kingdom. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're focused on. It's not, again, it's not about us. It's about expanding the kingdom um, here on earth with whatever leverage God has given us to, um, to use to do that and to steward to do that, I guess. Yeah. So I got two two follow-up questions. One is very kind of clinical. Um, and and that is Jim, talk to us about what post-tension concrete is and why that is needed, and that is your why that's your niche. That's first question. Second question is I want to talk about like especially Sandy, but, but you and Jim both, but how you, what you're finding is working in identifying the right talent because you've got, that's very, it's different than just like, can you fog a mirror? Can you, you know, do this or that? Great. 
I know that you're you're purposeful in. I, I want to know like what's working and what hasn't worked for you. So think about those two questions. But Jim, if you would start with post tension concrete. What is post tension concrete? Huh. Um, well, concrete uh, is just you know everybody knows what concrete is. Everybody has their foundations poured with it, and so what we do is. What post-tension is, is it's a cabling system. It's uh, uh, half-inch diameter steel cables that are in a sleeve, a greased sleeve that are gridded through the floor. And then once the slab is poured and it has its strength enough, then you basically pull each of those cables to a, a very high-strength pressure of 33,000 pounds per square inch and you lock them in place. And so, in essence, it's squeezing the floor together uh, from all directions. Um, I call it, well, concrete, if people understand that it doesn't have very good tensile strength, like I mean, if you put a long piece of it in, in on a fulcrum, it would just break. It would break in half. But if you put it on the ground and press down on it, it has great compressive strength. So the cables force it into compression and then lock it in place. So it gives it longevity uh, and it gives you a lot less pr problems. Like once, the, uh, I think that's why they do it a lot of multifamily and stuff like that. It's like once the things stuck together, they don't have to worry about coming back and fixing tile or because the cracks opened up and everything like that because you're forcing the slab to stay together forever. Great answer. And there's no way I could have answered it like that. So thank you. So Sandy, I'm going to throw it to you and then Jim, you can uh, tag along on this, but, but talk about, you know, I want to know about kind of like what your hiring process is and things that you've had kind of poured into you or that you've applied from other places that feed into that hiring process and your methodology and what you've found that works and stuff that hasn't worked? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's actually two answers <laughs> because what we have found is that it's very different to hire people for field work um, versus hiring people for office work. So we've had great success with our office team, which is really, well, I was going to say our core team, but it's not really. Um, so scratch that. But so for our office, what we do is when we run an ad, we don't run an ad and then get, you know, 65 resumes and read all the resumes and then decide, you know, which of those look good and which of them don't. Because really, the truth is, anybody can put anything on a resume. Um you know, they can hire someone to write a resume for them to, to make them look good. So what we do is in our ad, we tell them about the company and the position, and then we have instructions for them. So, like, we have them um, for our office personnel. We ask them to um, call a number and leave the answer to three questions that we give them. And then at the end of that, we ask them to send us an email to an opportunity that one of our email that we have set up with, again, the answers to the questions and their resume attached to that. 
And so the first time we did this, I mean, I, I had no idea if it was going to work or if it was going to, you know, were we going to get like 150 emails or calls or how we were going to manage this. But I think we had 67, almost 70 um, applications that came through um, when we were using Indeed. And only five, six, only six people actually followed the full um, thing that we asked them to follow. So we only interviewed six people. <laughs> so it was like it, it saved us time. It really, you know, because those are the people that we want. We know that they're detail oriented. We know that they're, um, you know, they're very conscientious. We know that they're going to follow through when we ask them to do something. And it just weeded out, um, you know, a lot of people for us. And everybody um, pretty much that we've hired in the office through that are inc they're incredible like they're I feel like they're way beyond probably what we're paying them to do <laughs> way way more qualified than what we're paying them to do so it's been a great success we have found that that doesn't work as well with field people um field people are a little different <laughs> yeah so I'll let you talk to <laughs> talk to them it's a little more labor intensive to, to hire yeah I think on the Field people, we just it doesn't we, it doesn't work that way so much, and so I just wind up having to I do a lot of personal phone calls, and I'll get a feel for them over the phone before I set up a in person interview, and just have a chat with them. You know, hey, I'm the owner. This is what I'm looking for. Tell me about yourself. I actually, you know, try to have them tell me about themselves and not their experience. Uh, and just want to know who they are and tell them, I tell them who we are, tell them what we're looking for. And is it something that might fit what they, you know, if we feel like we fit, do you, you know, is it something you want to do? Then, then I set up an interview with them to come in and have a face to face. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we just hired two, two, actually it'd be three like within the last three months, uh, just because our field is growing so fast. I mean, we've basically we've tripled in size this year from last year, and so we're trying to meet the demands with getting the right supervisors. Yeah, so I think early on we decided that, um, you know, we were going to hire and fire, and this is something we took from Gary, <laughs> I think, at the beginning, was we were going to hire and fire according to our values. Yeah, that was and, attraction, Yeah, so. because, you know, you can, you can teach a skill, but you can't teach someone values. Um, so that really is, you know, any, you know, anything we do to try to hire people, that's always at the core of it. Um, and then I think the other two things that have worked really, really well for us is for our office, um, our kind of our core office team, we have everybody in on the interviews. So we'll have the person come in and they'll spend a little bit of time with each person. Um, and those, you know, we don't tell them what to do. We don't tell them what to ask. You know, they can do it however they want. And then we all kind of debrief after because, you know, we all ask different questions. We all have different feelings. And it's been really, really helpful. Um, people that came in that on paper are so qualified, you know, we would have a mutual just little chat, you know, about them. And sometimes I think you can question yourself, you know, did I, was I feeling, you know, was that weird or was it just me? But when you've got, um, you know, five different people saying, yeah, I felt a little weird about this. 
then you know that there's something there. So that's been really helpful is having it be a team thing instead of just, you know, Jim and I sitting down with people and asking them 25 questions. And the field just goes that way too. He usually sends anyone that he's interested in, he sends them out to the field crew um, for them to spend some time with them and get their feedback yeah. as well. I usually send them out to uh, interview with one of my superintendents because they'll ask them questions that they wouldn't ask me. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I'd rather have it asked up front. Uh, you know, how do we treat people? How do, you know, how is it? And the other thing too is like on the office staff, we'll do a group interview via Zoom. Uh, and this was all given to us by a coach we had, uh, his name is Mike. And uh, he's the one that gave us this process basically mm -hmm. to how to, how to weed out and not have to spend months trying to go through interview or uh, application, yeah, resumes. But uh, so yeah, it's different for different what you're hiring for, but. I think the biggest thing for us is the, I always put them out there with one of the, our field supervisors that's been with me for three or four or five years and let them, you know, let them be honest with each other. <laughs> if they don't like it, they'll tell them. So, all right, go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. No, you're fine. I, I want to blend a little bit of what we've been talking about. You're talking about community and, and impact. You're talking about hiring process, getting the right people on. How has your purpose, meaning you two, of creating positive impact on community, things like that, how has that um, affected your community, the people you hire, branding, meaning does it resonate with the, the, uh, the future clients as you're prospecting, things like that? How does that move into those aspects of the business? I'm not sure how to answer that. <laughs> Um, well, because we are very intentional about our hiring, we just don't hire bodies, you know, like warm bodies right. to fill a hole. Um, sometimes you feel kind of desperate, like we need someone right now in that seat, but I think being willing to take the time to find the right person is always worth it. Um, you know, a little bit painful during the moment, but when you have the right people and they come on, on board, agreeing a hundred percent with your vision, with your values, with where you're going. So if we're not all going in the same direction, there's going to be friction there. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that everybody has to think the same or have the same goals or whatever, but we definitely want every single person on our team to have a growth mindset. It's one of our core values is growth mindset. So whatever that looks like for them, um, and then when I think maybe you could speak to this more, um, when you have hard things that happen and, you know, in this industry, a hard thing is usually a million dollar thing that's hanging out there that could go wrong. <laughs> so it's not like, oh, well, we'll get this behind us. I mean, we've had some situations where there's been things that literally could take us down, um, because we're not, you know, we're, we're new, we're still a baby company. So we don't have, you know, um, a huge, you know, reserve pocket in the bank yet. We're working on it. But um, so, yeah, so I think going through those hard things and demonstrating for Jim, especially to demonstrate walking out our values in those hard situations, whether it's a hard situation with 
um, a team member or a hard situation with a client, because both have happened, and just really sticking to those values, everybody sees that. And so they know, okay, when Jim says that, you know, um, we need to be collaborative, you know, so when something hard happens, we don't just walk and say, that's not our, you know, that's not our deal. We did, that's not in our contract. You guys are on your own versus sitting down and coming back to the table with ideas here, let us help you like, you know, manage through this yeah. rough spot. Um, everybody sees that. And then they model, I think they model that as well. It encourages our team members to do the same when they're dealing with our, with our clients. Makes sense. It's, it's not just about showing, or it's not just about talking about the vision and the core values up front. It's also living those yeah. values. Yes. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to even that first question Gary had asked that I think that's what I would want people to talk about is like, yeah, they, they do what they say or they, they live what they say versus just having a tagline. Right. And then going back to Jim's example of the company that actually we just got a contract this week with them. If you guys knew what, ha what happened, I mean, these are people that in any other circumstance in any other universe would never work with us again. It was bad. So we won't go into all the details. And really not at the fault of our guys. It was no. just an engineering firm that we had partnered with that, that didn't hold up their didn't hold up their end of the bargain, but it made us look when you're holding up a, a multi-million dollar job for weeks, that's not cool. People are not happy. So I mean we even got like letters that we're gonna just keep you off the job, pull your bond, and you're out during that situation. So it, it was really, it was rough, but we're so thankful for that because it really tested us um, in are we who we say we are? You know, are we people of faith? Do we trust that everything has a purpose, that things happen for, you know, for us, not to us, all of those kinds of things. Are we really going to walk that? Not give up. And not give up, right. We're going to be tenacious. We're going to be collaborative. We're going to be problem solving. We're going to be relational, all of those things. Um, are we going to do, you know, even if we go down, are we still going to live, you know, that? And so I think now on the other side of that, and this company choosing to contract with us again, it, it's pretty supernatural and miraculous, honestly, that that's what came out of that. So. so a couple of thoughts. First of all, kudos for having somebody outside the jar to help you read the label, a coach. Mm -hmm. And it's not me. And I'm cool with that. I, I'm glad you have somebody and you guys have used wise counsel from a number of sources, which is cool. You know, yeah. um, so I think that's really great. I love the creativity and what you've learned in the hiring process, like versus just dump and run on Indeed and then you're just buried alive. And some and people starting businesses can't afford headhunters that are taking 25 and 30% right. of the first year take and you still don't know what you got. But and, and we've got clients that do that. So, you know, there's a place for all of that. But when you're starting a company from bootstrapping it you have to be creative and you don't have some of those luxuries so i just think kudos to you for for that and and 
you guys have been have, are you familiar with uh dan sullivan's book who not how mm-hmm. let's put that on our list maybe that's next put on your put on your list right. who not how but that's really what it's about it's about having the right who people and and because when you have the right who and the right people you don't have to always tell them how you let them do it and you collaboratively figure out mm-hmm. how do you do it so um kudos to you i think for anybody listening there's some real nuggets of really creative practical wisdom especially in a tight labor market super tight labor market yeah. and especially in construction in charlotte north carolina um we are still attracting a lot of people into this area and so building and all of that is still kind of booming um i, I want to pivot to have you share whatever you want to share on this because i knew uh, no more of your story than most but you guys have been married for 39 years you have seen companies you've grown companies you've gone through all kinds of life changes moving halfway or almost all the way across the country talk to us about you you said something sandy about it tested us and i keep thinking about well you know concrete especially when you're putting it under pressure that makes it strong but the concrete's probably not loving that you know i mean if it had feelings yeah. it'd be like wait a minute so <laughs> you know pressure doesn't feel good talk to the listeners about some of the difficult times you actually talked about a real life example recently where you had a job that wasn't going great outside of your control threats to the your company threats to your reputation because it was somebody else but it was still your you know it's your resource talk to us about some of the things that have really tested your metal that you can say we lived through it and we didn't like it, but it made us stronger. And here's some th- things that we learned. Whatever you want to share. Well, that similar to that one situation, it was that situation at the same time times three. There was three three projects going on with that same engineer, and so we had the same thing going on with three different clients at concurrent <laughs> so and, and basically it was affecting about six million dollars worth of work that we had in process that we were at verge of being in default on because we couldn't get this company to perform wow. and so with that said and, and it was you know I'll be honest with you there was some sleepless nights and there was <laughs> there was uh, there was some struggles there to get through that because I think at the end of the day you still want to be a man of your word and you know we want to be who we say we are and it's not okay with us to not do what we say that we will do even if it's not in our control Um, but I think at the end of the day we I think it helped us prove in my mind it helped us prove are some of our values of trustworthiness, tenacious, collaborative. We 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 kept fighting and 
um, we finally just inch by inch, and it wasn't like it just miraculously disappeared. Uh, it was an inch by inch thing, and that we basically have worked our way through all three jobs at this point. And um, I'm not going to say that it, all those jobs became profitable uh, because it, it, it did cost us. It always cost you. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, we we live through it. And I think that makes us stronger to to go on and to do another, you know, thing. And I think when we one of our commitments that we always do every year, too, is that we we always find a way to do some personal growth, at least two two events every year. So that helps us kind of recharge those batteries and help us go to things. And they're always different, whether it's business, whether it's personal, whether it's spiritual, whether whatever it is, we always pick at least two a year that we go to. And I think that helps us get through and to refocus. It helps us, uh, I guess, put things in perspective. Because at the end of the day, that job wasn't, that job isn't our life. That job isn't who we are. But when you're going through it, it seems like it. Yeah, I think um, the only thing I'm going to add to that is <clears throat> I think looking back now, we can see the how important it was for us to have grown beforehand. So, um, so we were ready for it, even though, yeah, it hurt like hell and it was scary and all of that. Um, we were ready for it. And... So to Jim's point, you know, we're just very intentional about always growing. So we do read a lot together. We discuss, you know, we read books together and discuss them. Um, we have coaches. And one thing I would say about coaches, this is something that I learned with us having coaches, is I don't think a coach is a lifetime coach. I think coaches are for a season. And they every we had multiple coaches, and every coach brings something to the table that we need in that season, and then it's time to move on to someone that has a different perspective. And so that is very healthy. It's not like one and done. Um, it's been really interesting that people have come into our life at just the right time, and it's the next thing that we need to really press into and learn and grow in. So um, I would highly, yeah, I just always highly suggest and again to our team you know if they want to go to a growth event if they want to go to a conference if they want to take a class we're all about it if they need a little bit of time off work if, if they if we need to pay for it whatever it is we're behind them 100 percent, helping them grow because we know again like i said before if they're growing then the team is growing and we're healthy um we don't really want anybody sitting where, the, where they're at <laughs> staying where they're at um for very long One more thing that I want to, because I know a little bit of your story of when you started. Another thing that you guys did that I thought was unique and creative that I have not seen in a lot of other places when they're getting ready to launch a company. You guys did a vision board, right? So yeah. can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think the listeners would find that fascinating to what you did. And what's interesting is, when you do that, you have no idea what's coming down the pike and how that vision is going to be tested. Yeah. <laughs> like what you For just sure. described. Yeah. But talk, talk to us about that. 
well, first of all, Sammy took me kicking and screaming into it, so uh, that wasn't my uh, flow. Uh, so I, uh, you know, begrudgingly participated, and we built it, and then, but the miraculous thing about it is, I think we had taken a picture of it and showed it to you that one year, and I would say 95% of what we put on it, we accomplished before that year was out. And we thought those were some pretty lofty goals. Yeah, we thought we were and, really stretching. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it was pretty amazing to do that because, you know, just the mindset and to speak things out and the power in that and to you know, just how your mind will actually work subconsciously uh, when you're not thinking about it and it'll jump you to how to solve that problem maybe while you're not even thinking about it and then all of a sudden things get put in your path or whatever. And so I think one of my favorite ones is we're living in our house that we had a five-year goal on four years ago and we've been living in the house for over two and a half years. And our goal was to have build a house within a five years and so it, everything just kind of worked out and we're completely blessed with it and uh but speaking that out even though you know i guess for uh the naysayers or the uh, hes you know hesitators uh you know i i wasn't that wasn't my flow so i was kind of like yeah whatever uh <laughs> and and so, but that probably goes back to, you know, the end of the day, trusting that, okay, I'll go along with it and trust that she's got, a, you know, a plan and, and, and that was stuff that, you know, I don't know where you got that or she got it through a mindset coach, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, she got that through a different program uh, that she was doing and, and we just morphed it into something personal for us. And, and so we do, we take, the last week of the year between Christmas and New Year's and we'll disappear for two or three days and go go away and be quiet. And we work on our vision board for the next year and our goals for the team. And then we'll share that at the our quarterly event in January and we'll set out our goals that we planned out for the year. So describe what that what is on that vision board like are you taking photos? Are you taking stuff out of magazines? Are you writing stuff? Like, give us a yeah. little bit more granularity on that, Sandy. <laughs> um, yeah, it was hard at the beginning. When you don't know how to do it, it's, it's a little overwhelming. Um, so kind of our process is we write our dreams and our goals separately. Yeah, Jim does his and I do mine. And then we come together and we kind of combine them and do goals together. Um, and that's personal and business. So we have a business board and we have a personal board. Um, and then we just kind of combine all of those things where we whittle it down into where, you know, it's probably five categories or so that are kind of, that are manageable. So that takes some work and some organization and some weeding through and some talking and some this stays, that goes kind of thing. 
Um, like one of the categories will be financial and one of right. the categories will be team and one of the, you know, so just right. different things that speak to different areas. And then you can kind of list your goals in those areas or speak out where we'll be in these different areas. And, yeah. And I would say it's definitely very, um, you know, our personal board is quite different from our business board. Um, our business board is definitely more cut and dry, you know, because we are talking about um, like definite goals, you know, that have a number and a date attached to them, not just, you know, some random thing. Um, so once we kind of get it whittled down where we've got it organized, then we do look through magazines. We go online and find pictures that either relate or just sometimes it's just pictures that inspire and bring the feeling that we're going to have when we reach that goal, if that makes any sense. Um, so it could be like a physical picture of the goal. It could be a feeling that that goal you know, makes you feel. Or when you see yourself at the end of the day with that goal being accomplished, what does that look like? So all of those things, like any of that. And so some of it is tangible and some of it is kind of woohoo, which is a hard thing for Jim. <laughs> He's a very literal person. so. Um, yeah, um, it could be any of that. And that way then, once we kind of put the board together, we have like the different sections that we've kind of whittled everything down to. And then we don't just like put it in a closet and put it away and say that's done. We have it out where we can see it. And um, when we first started, <laughs> we literally, um, every morning and every night, we would pull that board out and we would read it out loud and to each other um <laughs> it sounds a little weird but when you are hearing you're telling your brain that every single day your eyes are seeing it you're involving all of your senses and i don't know how or why it works i can just tell you that it works and it made such a huge shift in our life um so we still you know we still, we don't read it to each other two times a day anymore but we always have it where we can see it and um, she get mad at me if I was reading it to her when I was leaving in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't always at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, but um, yeah, so it keeps those things in front of you. And then also, um, we do like a, a monthly kind of update meeting, Jim and I do. And so all of those goals are in a document that we go through on a monthly basis. And it's really awesome. Like sometimes you feel like you're not moving at all. And then when you go to update your document, you realize, wow, we've like accomplished four things this month that we didn't even realize. So it kind of gives you a baseline and it gives you a track record for where you're at and it keeps you focused on where you're going. So it's kind of like looking back, looking now, and then looking forward. Um, all so in one. what are the five categories? Financial is one. So this year we only have three. We really kind of pared it down. Okay. Yeah, team. Our team. Uh, clients. Mm -hmm. Right. And team, clients, and then just, and then our. Uh, um, financial. Financial. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. For business, cool. it's those three things. Mm -hmm. And then for personal, what are they? What, what are the five categories? Or So it's it's financial, family, health. Um, growth, physical, like exercise, you know, like right. That, health, that's the health, health yeah. that's the health part. I can't remember the fifth one. 
um, family, I think. Yeah. Talk about like so family, faith, faith. Yeah, probably faith. All right. Cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, that's very practical for anybody listening, whether you own a company or not. I think that's really powerful. And we're seeing a lot of this NLP stuff. There's something about what our subconscious is stewing on. Yeah. And it doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about it. Yeah. I mean, thanks, for like, thanks for going on. Just like the the idea you were talking about earlier of reading all these books and being able to consume it and how that comes out, it's you are what you consume, right? And if you're reading that to each other twice a day, it's going to be in the subconscious. You're, it's going to be pretty prevalent in your life. So that's it's fantastic that you guys did that practice. Yeah. And I will say, like, on the business, we didn't have it kind of whittled down to three. It might change next year, this year. That's just how it turned out. Um, we still have culture in there and all of that. It's just culture is kind of a piece of every single one of those larger, you know, categories. So it's not like we left things out. We just combined them more, overlapped them more, I guess you could say. Well, I think on our business one, too, we kind of centered it around, we always get a key verse that we want it to be based off of for the year. That'll be our our verse for the year. And then we put a triangle around that. And, and basically we we proclaim that the God of the universe lives within us and the might of Christ thinks through us and the Holy Spirit affects the environment around us. And we like proclaim that. And then the other stuff kind of is around all that, the, the culture and the financial and the team and the clients and stuff. They all feed off of that main main principle for us and so that's that's one of our key things as we like come up with a verse each year cool practical yeah and you've got the results that show it yeah i think you know there's a lot of people that have a life verse or a personal verse but we just do that on a on the business side of things too right Well, you two have shared so much with us. We appreciate it. And half the listeners are going to go create a vision board after this. So that's that's going to be good, too. Um, but thank you so much. Ladies. For, for... <laughs> it is, ladies. Drag their husbands. There you go. That's right. That's right. But no, this, this has been really good. So many useful nuggets from this. We appreciate it. Um, any Any final thoughts that you guys want to share with the listeners or any place you want to send them? I, one thing people always say they want to be self-employed i said go for it <laughs> get you some <laughs> never it's never as easy as it looks like on the outside um but it's it's either it's in you you know being entrepreneurs for us it's like i said when i was working for somebody running a division of a company we were still flipping houses it's like we're always doing it so it's if it's in you, and it, I think even entrepreneurial doesn't have to mean you own your own business either. You can be part of different things and be creative. We're listening to some teachings right now, and it doesn't have to be that you own something. It can be you're part of something, and you could uh, you can find ways to use your creativity that God's given you, and just be purposeful. You know, you can't 
you can always retire from your work, but you can't retire from uh, your purpose. And so um, that was something we heard just a couple weeks ago. And it's kind of like, yeah, that resonated. It's like, we'll never retire from our purpose. And, you know, hopefully someday you get to where you don't have to work so hard and toil and stuff like that. But we don't, our purpose will never change. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you both. Make sure, and I will put this in the show notes, but for the listeners, make sure you go to renovareinc.com to check out the uh, the business and be able to read more about what they're doing with the community and what's what's setting them apart and making them or giving them their differentiators. So make sure you check that out and we'll put links to that in the show notes as well. So thank you both for being on here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys.